Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday, the 5th of February 2021. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us talk about all the exciting things we got up to during the summer break. And filmmaker Sally Ingleton joined us to talk all about her new documentary on environmental activism, Wild Things, which is screening now. Uh, also, we went to go to live shows. We got, talked about going to see some concerts and also Digger um, chatted to us about um, things happening in the garden. We spoke to Carly Finlay, who edited the new anthology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia, and for our Wednesday Wisecracker, uh, Bobby McCumber had a little accident, nothing too serious. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. Uh, we all had um, probably some significant moments uh, during the holidays. Daniel, you had a birthday. I did. Yeah. Happy birthday! Thanks very much. Big, big happy birthday. Hope it was. Hope it was terrific. Yeah. Um, I what did I? I went for a walk and um, <laughs> I moved back to Collingwood, so that was uh, that was pretty big and exciting. That was nice to be nice to be back in the city. Um, but um, Mon, you. you but something significant happened in your life, did it? Oh, yeah. Well, it was um, the first day after finishing breakfast, so first Saturday. Um, I remember talking with my partner and he's like, oh, sleep in tomorrow. How great. And I was like, oh, can't wait for a sleep in. That'll be so nice. Um, and so went to bed and then at like um, 6.15 I woke up and he wasn't there. <gasps> and I was like, oh, that's, that's weird because he was, oh, maybe – I hope he's, you know, so I popped my head out into the kitchen and he was just up up and about. And I was like, what are you doing? Sometimes he gets up early and watches like Premier League or something. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, nah, nothing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and looked at the TV. And I was like, what are you watching? He's like, oh, just the news. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> he's like, sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. Go back, go back to bed. I was like, okay. I um, went back to bed and then at like 7.15, got a knock on the bedroom window and he was out in the backyard <laughs> and he was... <laughs> And he was like, come out, come outside. I was like, oh. No, mate, it's a sleeping day. <laughs> 7.15, this is too early. Yeah, I was like, okay, all right. I mean, I've got, I've got five weeks to sleep in, so that's fine. Um, and then went outside and into the little, little courtyard we've got. And our set up in the backyard was a white tablecloth and a bottle of champagne <gasps> and some music playing and breakfast was all laid out. Um, and he was wearing a nice little shirt. <laughs> Um, and he's like, come sit down. And then he was struggling to sort of string a sentence together. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And then, um, sat down next to him and, uh, we got engaged. Yay! (laughs) That's such a good story because we know that on one of your first dates, he struggled to cook breakfast for you. (laughs) Oh my God, I didn't think of that. And now that's, he's come full circle. (laughs) And now you can spend the rest of your lives I mean, together. Have I had too much coffee? That story freaked me out. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it was like he was gone. I'm like, is this a sequel to Gone Girl? What have I stumbled into here? What? And then fight. And then he, anyway, he had his nice little shirt. <laughs> Yeah, what kind, what, tell us about the shirt. What kind of is it a plain shirt? Does it have a pattern on it? Yeah, it's what? got a little, just a nice little um, shirt with a little pattern, little short sleeve shirt. That um, does the mm. collar have buttons on it? No. Oh, do you, do you know the shirt? I'm not... 
No, I just like it. That's I like um I like the um but, buttons on a collar. Yeah. Like to be able to button down my collar. Yeah. Oh, no, this is a bit more casual. More casual. Yeah. Um, Was there a big speech? I don't think he had the um ability to make a good speech at the time. You know, I've never proposed to anyone, and I assume I won't. <laughs> now but it seems like a bit of a nerve-wracking experience and so there was a there's a bit of a you know very quick lovely I love you words and then he um just lifted up a a coffee cup because it was breakfast but lifted up the coffee cup and underneath the cup was a was a ring ring. oh that's cool also get you when you're drowsy and I was like oh (laughs) I am tired Well, this is lovely. Thank you so much. I'm going to pop back into bed for a bit. Well, that was the funny thing, right? So this it was actually like this exact time, I reckon. Of um, course, yeah. Like probably about 7.30 or something when it happened. And so, of course, I said, no, thank you. I know. <laughs> said, said yes, and we popped a bottle of champagne, had some breakfast. And then it was – I was like, cool, it's quarter to eight – I don't really want to finish a bottle of champagne now. Why not? You're on holiday. <laughs> so then it, it was like, we've got all day. So then we just kind of went inside, watched the news, uh, went back to bed, fell asleep. And then like, because I was like, my family are late risers. They won't, I can't tell them yet. So we just mm. had a few hours to kill. And I think that was the the nicest part of it, where it was like our little secret yeah. for like a couple of hours. And it was You just got thing. to be in the moment. For yeah. Hour. Oh, geez, that's nice. I have to share my moment with everybody, <laughs> but, which was good as well. Obviously, um, what what did he make for breakfast? We had <laughs> no nothing flammable. Um, <laughs> just laid out some um, bagels and smoked salmon and a pot of coffee, a bottle of oh. verve. It was all very. So also, I find it peculiar. My family are late risers. Is is the idea that you would tell your parents they'd be like, "Mummy." <laughs> We are a family of late risers. How many times have we told you don't call before 10 a.m.? I like, well, it's, it's more that they just wouldn't have answered the phone. So, so I'll give them a little bit of time. But I ended up telling my parents. I'm sure you anyway. cried on the radio, but we will never listen to you because we are a family of late risers. It's true. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I just gave them a bit of time. When you, when you say, did you put a, what did you do with the wine? You say you had it later or did you? Yeah, put- we had a bit and then we were like, well, but this is the thing. So then, so you, we put the rest back in the fridge with a little spoon in the bottle, which I don't think does anything. It doesn't, but it helps. Yeah. It helps. Yeah. It's a placebo. Yeah. Um, and then, but then it was just a day of, of, champagne or sparkling wine all day because and because we had some in the morning and then we drove around to my parents house to tell them so then they popped a bottle and then um we went back home and a few friends came over and then they both each brought a bottle and we're sitting in the backyard drinking champagne and then we went out to dinner that night and it was just like i am sick i feel i am sick and full of champagne uh what a problem to have (laughs) was the dinner special or a part of it or was it just well you gotta eat no, I'd booked the dinner ages ago for his birthday, which was a week before. So it was just like a happy kind of, it was like, oh, we can make this a dual celebration. Um, oh, that's so good. What mm. a, that, um, yeah, he's done well. That's a, that's a really, really good engagement. Yeah. yeah. And if the, it was made, mm. 
Yeah, and no, no, um, no flash mobs, which is good. Uh-huh. You know. And the the, the was it a saucer? Like, or was it a, it's a, a cup on a saucer upside down? You know. Yeah. Oh, oh so that yes, gives yes. the game away pretty fast, doesn't it? No, no, no. no. The, the cup was the cup was empty over the saucer. Like, oh, like you see oh. at a, at a yeah. hotel or something when they have yeah. the cups laid out. And you're like, hello, what's this? Yeah. And is the ring beautiful? Do you love it? Of course you do. Oh, oh there, yeah, there it is. It is. Beautiful. It is great, actually. Friend of ours is a is a jewelry designer, and he designed it. Uh, so it's one of his, which is kind of special as well. You know, have someone you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was my news. But the biggest part of it was that I got woken up. I think you know. Oh, so rude. <laughs> <laughs> we know one thing about the Sabirs. It's their late rises. <laughs> and we hate Seinfeld. Triple <laughs> <laughs> Sally Ingleton is a documentary producer and award-winning director whose company, 360 Degree Films, has, across multiple genres, created quality programming for the BBC, National Geographic, the ABC, SBS and PBS in the United States. Her latest documentary, Wild Things, a year on the front line of environmental activism... I've lost you. ...is in cinemas from Thursday. Be back. And to tell us about it, the filmmaker joins us tentatively online now. Sally, welcome to Breakfasters. Hey, uh, good to be there, and hello to all your listeners. Uh, can you t- tell us what sort of um, what, what you sought to document with Wild Things? Yeah, look, um, I guess like many many people, you know, I've been obviously watching the whole story of uh, global warming unfold over the last several years, and I wanted to make a film that was really positive and optimistic, and I thought maybe it would be good to kind of turn the camera on the people who are at the front line that are kind of doing things to defend the planet because they're usually such inspirational people and they've all got amazing backstories. So that's what I did. So Wild Things, basically, we spent a year on the front line following people that were in three really powerful campaigns, the Defending the Forests of Tasmania, the Stop Adani campaign up in central Queensland, And then we followed some of the incredible teenagers that started the school strike for climate movement. What are some of the hallmarks of a successful campaign? Oh, great question. I mean, I guess if you are going to run a good campaign, for a start, you really need committed and passionate activists who are just good at organising and will never sort of lie down and give up. And I think that's what you see in the film is, you know, particularly the people down in the forests who, whenever they have a step back, if they get arrested, they just back, you know, that night planning what they can do next in order to just keep the momentum up and keep the pressure up. And um, it was interesting just spending time immersed in these blockades and actually seeing how people organise and the kind of, I guess, the dialogue they have when things aren't going their way and how they manage to turn things around. Mm. And I think that's why so many people who've seen the film have just found it really fascinating and, and really inspirational. Mm. And the, the documentary covers some of the, uh, the past campaigns as well. What, what do you think have been some of the, uh, the, the, the giant trend-setting campaigns that we're still learning from? because I think often when you talk to young people there's this sense that they're the first they're the first to ever go to the front line they're the first to strike 
Um, you know, there's a lovely moment in the film where the kids at the school strike for climate movement, they're up there on the podium and they're saying, hands up if this is your first strike. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all the hands go up and... Uh, you know, for me, I'm you know I'm in the older category now, and and you know you just have to smile thinking of all the the marches that I've been to over the years, and uh, and I thought it was really important to let young people know that Australia's got a really rich history of environmental activism, and if you know going right back to the the days in the seventies of the Green Bands, which really sort of inspired so many people around the country to sort of start blockading. So that's when unionists basically refused to do things like build housing estates in the middle of Centennial Park and things like that. Um, and obviously, you know, the Franklin River is a really, was probably like the biggest landmark campaign and that was nearly 40 years ago, in the summer of 82 and 83, where thousands of people went to this really remote spot upriver in Tasmania to stop a dam being built and, um, you know, and stop a wild river from, from basically, yeah, having a dam across it. And that river now is like one of the top 10 whitewater rafting destinations in the world. And that local community would be making far more from tourism now than what they ever would have if they'd stayed employed with the Hydroelectric Commission. Mm. So I think there's a lot to learn from the past and there's a lot to sort of um, gain inspiration from the people who, who did go to the front line. But things are done really differently now, and the film really tracks that, that, you know, back in the old days, you had to sort of get media crews out there, and it was a real effort um, in order for them to film things and then get the footage back to Hobart, and hours later it would finally get on TV. But now you can, all the activists have got phones and they're really organised at just cutting up these little clips right on site and then just getting them out, live streaming from blockades and so on, which really helps to mobilise um, their support base. Can it get a bit hairy on the ground? It can get hairy on the ground. I mean, we we experience some really strong kind of, I, I guess, antagonism, particularly from the local mining communities in central Queensland. And a lot of those people, that, you know, they're just really fearful that they're going to lose their jobs. But those jobs are going to go anyway because coal is very much an energy of the past and all around the world people are closing coal mines. So it's really nothing to do with the environmentalists. It's um, it's just the way things go and governments need to be working hard to transition those communities away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energies. Mm. So there's, you see protesters like literally having semi-trailers rammed into them and abuse hurled at them and you know it is really scary for a, a lot of them but they hang in there and um they really stand their ground which amazed me because i probably would have been running <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, sleeping up trees like mm. really really high yeah, well, this was the thing I just... When people said, you know, oh, are they going to set up a tree sit and someone's going to go up there and they'll sleep up there? And you're like, you're kidding, really? Mm. And then, you know, we interviewed this amazing woman, Lisa Searle, who's just a, a really dedicated activist. And she's also a doctor, you know. She's not 
like some feral hippie. <laughs> she's actually a doctor and she spends half her time working for an organisation called Doctors Without Borders and she goes off to Africa and runs hospitals in the Congo and all sorts of things. But, you know, half a year during the summer, which is the sort of prime logging season in Tasmania, she'll be there at these blockades. And she goes up, scales up these trees like 50 metres up in the air and um, she'll sleep in a tree. And there's a really funny moment where she's talking about what it's like sleeping in a tree and she says, you know, it can be a little bit alarming at first because trees move and you're like, do they? And you're like, yeah, they do. They sway, they move around, but she says, that's what they're designed for, so it's okay. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Um, there's a there's a scene where Sally's driving into the town and she uh, sorry not Sally you're Sally where Lisa the doctor's driving into town and she says oh, I don't like to to sort of wear t-shirts with slogans I don't like people to really know when I go into the town that I'm an activist because it could be met with hostility I wondered if you came across anyone in the making of this film that didn't want to be on camera that wanted to remain remain some anonymity retain some of that do you mean activists yeah or local yeah activists. Oh, look, there were a lot of activists who were very wary about mm. being filmed um, and who really, yeah, didn't didn't want to be filmed at all. And, you know, it took quite a long time just gaining trust of people in those campaigns because they've had, you know, some of them have really um, been targeted by trolls online. And, in fact, Lisa, you know, has had her car rammed. She's been chased, you know, on forest roads and you know, really had her life kind of threatened and in danger by, you know, by people from the logging industry. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's certainly, you know, people are really mindful of not wanting to put themselves out there sometimes. Then others are just like, well, it's what I believe. So I'll put myself out there. Bob Brown appears in the uh, in the documentary. Can you, can you speak to, uh, and this is touched on briefly, but when campaigns... Well, when mistakes are made and things like that, what's your view of, say, the Bob Brown caravan up to Queensland and, and you know, when when efforts kind of maybe not backfire but uh, perception gets in the way? Look, I think with the Bob Brown convoy, um, and we did do quite a bit of filming on that convoy. We spent a little bit of time with them. In the end, only a small amount of um, of that story is actually in the film. We do show a bit of the convoy. Look, I think um, the convoy made a lot of effort to make contact with local people, but sometimes you just can't change people's minds. And, um, you know, they, they received a lot of hostility, particularly in the town of Claremont, which is... I suppose, the closest town to the site of the Carmichael mine. And I, you know, we went out and did filming with some of the locals and they're like, we really want that mine because we might get a second supermarket here. And and so that is kind of the thinking. Mm. Um, Bob would, I think, defend his position of running that convoy or particularly going to Claremont by saying he wasn't, he was invited by the traditional owners to go there. And so that's why he went there. And they ran like a big day event that was organised with the traditional owners, the Wongan and Jagalingu people. And uh, I suppose it's just different perspectives. You know, sometimes the media is just a bit of a beat up. They want any kind of negative stuff that they can then, you know, spin that story. I mean, Bob will say that in Queensland, whilst the Labor vote might have plummeted, the Greens vote actually went up. And, um, you know, he would still... I think, defend 
um, the fact that he did that convoy yep. through the eastern state. And I'm it, not a spokesperson for No, Blood, no, no. Yeah, um, I've talked to him about it and, yeah. And it, there's some special screenings. They're not coming up of Wild Things? Yeah, look, we've got um, we've got a series of, of advanced screenings, which we're sort of halfway through. We've got um, in, in Melbourne this week, we've got a screening at the Classic in Elston Week tomorrow night and the Nova in Carlton on Thursday night with Q&As afterwards with um, myself, Bob Brown, Lisa Searle and um, Paul Sinclair, who's the Director of Campaigns at the Australian Conservation Foundation. And then the film will be um, showing from February the 4th in those cinemas and at a number of of other sort of suburban and regional cinemas. But, look, it probably won't be a long season, so if people want to see the film, please get along quickly and see it because, you know, it may only be in cinemas over the next two or three weeks. All right. It's Wild Things uh, with a release in cinemas from Thursday, but uh, as... As Sally says, you can... Yeah, we've got a, we've got a website, wildthingsdocumentary.com, and all the information about the screenings is on that website. And join the Facebook page, and if you want to find out information about how the film's going. But thanks very much for your time this morning, and hope to see some of your listeners at some of the screenings. Sally Ingleton, thanks very much. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Uh, I went and saw Cash Savage and The Last Drinks on, at the Forum on Saturday night. First first live show back for since. <gasps> Woohoo! Yeah, it was really, it was amazing. And I, she played at the Bowl last night and I'm sure many of our listeners would have been there for that and um, no doubt loved it and, and enjoyed it. Um, but gosh, it was great. It was such mm-hmm. a, and I bought these, I bought tickets um like on just before Christmas, and it was you know a Christmas present for for Kath. And it's like, here you go, I got us to like it's also obviously for mm. me. <laughs> oh, what a great gift this is! Like, <laughs> that we can go do this thing that I really want to go to. But thankfully, um, Kath is also a, a fan and was very very excited and, and happy. Um, and also um, uh, Blake. Um, oh, now I've forgotten his last name from Scott. Yeah. Thank you. Something simple. Blake Scott um, was doing support as well. Um, and it was great because Grace's partner, JC, plays drums with in Blake's band. Ah. Um, and so JC and Grace were our bubble buddies during lockdown. So obviously, you know, they were a, a bit of our... So it was just really exciting to, you know, I had to catch up with them, managed to catch up with them before before the show. And also um, just to watch someone that I'd become quite good friends with during the year. Um, and I hadn't actually seen her play live. And it was just like, oh, this is so, this is so great. And so when we were watching, I said to, um, I said to Kath, I said, is this what it's like when you're sitting waiting for me to, to go? Because we were just watching them, watching JC get set up and stuff. And mm. I'm like, is this what it's like for you, for you? And like, you know, waiting to for me to come on stage and stuff. And she goes, no, not really. And I'm like, <laughs> well, in, why not? And she went, well, first of all, there's a lot more people here. Oh, <laughs> Burn. Wow. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's... That's fair. 
when you say, is this what it's like, do you mean the, the sense of anticipation or nervousness? Yeah, or? yeah, the anticipation and also, you know, I it's just wanting to turn around to everyone and let everyone know that I knew someone up <laughs> on that stage. I like, know, oh, that's our friend. Yeah. That's our friend, JC. <laughs> I can, you know, I was like, and, and so Kat said, yeah, there's a lot less people. And also a lot of people in your shows um, – like eighty percent of the audience know who I am oh. as well, so <laughs> they, you know, they know. Uh, but the show, it's like obviously, you know, being and going to the forum as well, which such as it's such an iconic live venue, iconic place to watch live music. It was, you know, it's so beautiful, mm. um, and just to be in a crowd again. Like I, I don't think anyone will ever take. Um, take that for granted. It was such a really, really special night. And like when Cash came out, there was one point, like after her first song, she said something like, um, you know, you could see it in her reaction and the whole band as well, just how exciting, you understood how exciting it was for them to be able to do, be in front of a live audience and, mm. you know, do their job again. Mm. And it's obviously, you know, it's, it's was do something that they really love. Um, but she said, she goes, I, she goes I, I wish you weren't here, <laughs> but also you need to be here. Like, mm. she goes, it's like I'm just having a very private moment in a very public place right and so but I totally get that it's like that emotion of like oh this is I can't believe this is happening there's a live like oh this is so but also you don't have that moment without having mm. what was the setup there. were you standing did you have to sit down there were it, it was all seated mm. um but we stood up mate Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People stood up, but also, and and there was, you know, obviously there was spacing between um, between seats and stuff. So it, it felt, um, it didn't feel too oh too squashed or anything. So I was like, I like I like going to a concert where I can sit down. Oh, me too. That is one of the best the the best things about the way gigs are coming back. I went I went to the Malthouse outdoor stage on Wednesday with some. Some mates from Triple R, including Chris Dew, who was here talking about murdering people in video game <laughs> format. <laughs> I see there was one way to uh, off someone, tattoo them to death <laughs> in this game. Oh. Anyway. Um, okay, interesting. But um, but we he dragged himself away from the video games to come with us to – we went to the Malthouse Outdoor Stage and we saw Sweet Whirl and then Sarah and Mary Chadwick. They both played on the same night but sort of separate bills, so mm. – but I, it was ideal because you we had to book a table. It was all very civilised. Out, oh, a outdoors. table. The dream. And some you people, somewhere to put your drink. Yeah, and some people were even getting little plates of food. It was like being in gold class. Oh. Um, and then sit there and it's, you know, you don't get bumped by anyone. Um, it's all very strict to a time limit. It was just great. I really loved it. And also yeah. just to see live music. It's a nice way to ease back into it. I think if I went to like somewhere that was crowded and felt t- packed in, it would be a little bit anxiety-inducing, but this is really a really nice yeah, compromise. Yeah, it's a nice – yeah. I think I've seen these platforms, the Music Bowl. Uh, they, mm. they, it look, feels like everybody gets to be a VIP. Oh, yeah, doesn't it? It looks like you've got a special private – well, you do, I think, have essentially a private booth. It mm. looks like so much fun. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm 
pumped about getting back to to seeing shows and stuff. It's funny. Speaking of tattoos, I <laughs> we were um, when we were leaving, and Kath and I often have this argument of how to get home after being in this, especially when it's kind of busy. It's like, do you um, you know book an Uber or just hail a cab? Um, and I. Um, if there's a cab, obviously I'll, I'll, I will get it. But I've, I'd, it was like this. We kind of had this bit of an argument over, because I was like, I don't. I'd feel, I get worried about hailing cabs, because, because we're so close to the to the city that they'll refuse the trip. Oh. And then, but she's like, they're not allowed to do that. I'm like, I know. But they do. But they do. Mm. And I and I think and I had a friend once that got um, dragged by. A, a taxi once he was like half in half in and he got his hand caught and the cab took off what yeah yeah oh yeah it's really full on um he's fine I think now. that was in christie's get oh right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's fine now but anyway would so and so i had um ordered an uber but it was like ages away it was like oh this is going to take forever and there was someone else um this other couple that was kind of standing on the kind of we kind of walked away away from traffic to try to you know get a place where a, a car can pull over um and so other people had the same idea and their uber arrived uh, just as Kath and I were about to tee off versus taxi versus, she goes, we should have just hailed a cab. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we should have, but, you know. And then this person turned around and was like, hey, do you do you want to come with us? Like, I know you live near near the Rochi, so do you just want to? <laughs> how, how did they know where you live? Oh, they probably listened to the radio and <laughs> listened to, or maybe have seen me talk like, <laughs> I, <laughs> But now, now everyone knows I live, you know, somewhat near the Rochi. Um, so she was like, "I know this is this is really weird, but you know." And I said, "Oh, I think you're only allowed to." And he goes, "No, I've already asked the, the Uber driver. <laughs> it's free, free. Yes. I've already asked Mum. She says you can come over." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you, I'm like, uh, "Yes, please, absolutely." Oh. Um, and o- then, oversharing pays off. Yeah, it really did. I was just like, and I was. We were telling her we nearly had an argument. She goes, "Have I just saved your relationship?" I'm like, yeah, you kind of, kind of had a little bit. It was great. So, uh, yeah. So we got a, a free. And but she was. This is where the tattoo thing came in. Sorry, she was telling me, and she goes, "Oh, it was such a." She'd been at Cash Savage as well, and she was just telling me how all these people were showing her. Um, people, all these people have tattoos of Cash Savage. Of like her them. face? Well, I think so. And I said, were they good? And she goes, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagined that they were really bad portraits of Cash Savage on people's I've, arms. I've very rarely what a, seen what a, a face tattoo ever look good. Because if it's I too agree. realistic, it's absolutely freaky. And then if they mess it up, it looks like that Ronaldo statue. Like it's just yes. not- <laughs> I was like, I want to get in on that anyway. Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. <laughs> <laughs> about dirt. Uh, back for the first down and dirty for 2021. We're fortunate. Digger's here to talk gardening. Hey, Digger. Oh. 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 Wait, go again. Go again. <laughs> Yay. Now, you were talking off air with uh, Mon. We can't hear. I couldn't hear it. I didn't know what you were talking about. It was about. secret. It's secret. Can you? Did I hear the word Labrador? 
No. You heard everything but level. Oh, no, okay. We got a new Border Collie puppy over the summer. Oh. That, yeah, she's a little black and white fuzzball and, yeah, good times. Good times. Uh, are you in charge of training? Um, no, I am delegating everything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I can't help myself because I'm control freak. So, uh, yes, I taught her to sit in her third day. Oh. Do you use <laughs> treats or just, like, um, voice voice treats? Started with the yeah. treats, but I think that gave her gastro, so she spent her second night in the vet hospital. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, gee whiz. Um, how's the summer been in the garden? Um, well, it's been a really interesting one. So, you know, as predicted, uh, La Nina, it's been a bit mild and a little bit wet. Now, I wasn't in Melbourne for all of it. I was uh, lucky enough to be down in the Otways when the big rainstorms came through. I heard Melbourne got a bit, but we got 130 mil in 24 hours down there. So the Otways nearly washed away. Kennet River's gone. Wye River was gone. Um, It was beautiful. The waterfalls were amazing, but, gee, it was a lot of rain. So um, did Melbourne get a a fair bit too? Oh, we got dumped on. Yeah, we did. Yeah, but... So yeah, but super, no waterfalls. Super wet. Yeah. Maybe on Elizabeth Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Street. Um, and then because uh, we had to do the puppy run, we spent a bit of time up in Shepparton. I haven't been up to Shepparton for a while, um, but what I do remember camping up in Shepparton as a kid was it gets scorching, scorching, scorching hot. But it just wasn't. So it's been a very mild, mild summer as as things go. So that that leaves you know pros and cons for plants. Um, so I've got a little bit of a list of observations I made just on my place. So as summer started, you know, summer, um, December was a bit mild and really noticed amongst my people that the apples started to grow and started to form really, really quickly in the mild conditions. They usually, while it gets hot, they kind of take it a little bit slow so they don't lose moisture. Mm. But then as the season's gone on, they've kind of just stopped. They've literally just stopped in their tracks and they, they'll ripen up usually by, you know, Late February, March, they'll start. It's really more April and May that's apple season. But it looks like, you know, they might be two to four weeks early because of the, the cooler weather. So that's a bit weird. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had, um, yeah, lots of apples. So much so that uh, we're making cider. <gasps> yeah. Yeah? When, Are they particular cider apples or are you just doing it with, with the apples that you have? Uh, a lot of it was with just the apples that we had yeah. um, and then we had to um, stock up a little bit so we got some a couple of bags from an orchard but yeah. mostly from, from our trees and our neighbour's tree. And they're all ripened up already, Jez? Yeah, like I've got it's fermenting as we speak. Wow. So, wow, yeah, I've got it like yeah, a couple of weeks early. ago, yeah. That that is really early. Mm. So yeah, a bit of a weird season for the apples. Is there and a the danger? Sorry, Digger, but is there a danger that you bought a collie will go to town in your backyard? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a danger. There is a danger. So we're picking up all of because we have a lot of fruit trees and all different sorts of stuff. And you know, if they're a little bit NQR, then yeah, if she gets them, yeah, she could be. Look, the vet bills cost more than what she did, so I'm bloody, I'm bloody worried about it because it has, she had to get gastro on the long weekend, didn't she? You know, oh, no. It's, it's 200% markup. At <laughs> um, no, I'm serious. And Anyway, um, so um, 
Early plums must have missed their pollination. It was a really shitty year for the early plum season. The mid-season plums, well, they ripened a little bit late, and the late-season plums ripened on time. So it, it was literally just all over the shop as far as the fruit trees goes. Peaches were late. Nectarines were early. It's mm. just... It's just thrown me out. Mm. It's really thrown me out. <laughs> and what does does it affect? Would that affect people shopping? Like, do the you know? So stuffs in season early, stuffs in season later. Yeah, potentially. So you know, I'm only going by what I've seen in in my garden and around in the suburbs with you know my local people. So out in uh, larger farms in surrounding rural areas, um, it would be similar. It might not be the exact same dates, but it would be similar that things are not quite right. Um, and yeah, there would be a lot of supermarkets getting a lot of calls from farmers saying, "Hey, we're going we're going early. You're going to have to take right. these two weeks early for sure." Okay, but yeah. is, is is this affecting what you you don't know what to plant now? And yeah, well, and now it's really starting. Now I've got to start thinking about you know, with the veggies because with the mm. we had a good season with the cucurbit family. Um, my climbing zucchinis went absolutely off their face. So I'm going to be saving the oh. seeds from them for. For the next La Nina, because you know, with mild conditions, the coming from the subtropics, they did really, really well. Whereas the tomatoes sucked ass; they were just really, <laughs> really, really poor season for tomatoes because oh. um, they just didn't get the heat. Tomatoes love a bit of heat, mm. especially through December, mm. um, to build up their bulk and stuff. But they were just yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit down. You know, the, the flavour is still there, but they're a little bit undersized and just not the high yield. So. I'm waiting, usually I'm waiting for the soil to, you know, hit about 19 degrees to get the winter crops in. So it's brassica sowing season now. So those of you at home, start sowing your brassica seeds in your hothouses. Mm-hmm. But the soil temperature is not about 19 degrees. It's it's lower than that, you know. So I'm not sure how we're going to go with our winter crop now. It's it's bloody thrown me. So what's what's good then? What's good to plant? It sounds like nothing. <laughs> Leafy, anything leafy, you mm. can't go wrong. And that's the thing. Leaf vegetables, because we're going to harvest them before they actually finish their life cycle, mm. only picking the leaves. So they want to go to flower. We're not going to let them go to flower. Um, that's going to be fine because whether it's mild conditions or wet conditions or whatever, they're still just going to put on leaves. So looks like it's it's salads all around for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and fr- from a gardening perspective, is it is summer lo- basically over or is there still – can things change at this point or will we – Well, uh, the way that this wave has gone, we're definitely not going to get um, – in traditional seasons, Indigenous seasons, we're into Kuyang, which is the late second summer, uh, which is usually when we get, you know, the thunderstorms and the high 40-degree days mm. and – and then, you know, it's, it's the shifting. So it's the coming towards the end of summer and it's shifting um, down into autumn. I don't think – I think we're going to get the thunderstorms. I don't think we're going to get the 40-degree days that we used to get in February. So, yeah, it's going to be steamier and wetter mm. and some frigging awesome storms, I hope, just to make the, you know, make the end of this summer awesome. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to tick off? No, I'm good. All right. Oh, I mean, I could, I could go for another hour. I know, I think you could. I'm sorry your tomato oh, sucker. Actually, yes. yes one, last, one last thing I forgot to put in there. It's been a really crappy year for fruit fly. There's so much fruit fly around, again, because of the subtropical conditions. So please, people, go out and look at your fruit, any sign of fruit fly, and bag it. Put it in a plastic bag and let it fry in the sun. Oh. Or put the fruit and drown it into a bucket of water. But do anything to try and minimise the reinfestation or the spreading of the larva of fruit fly in Melbourne. We've only had it for five years or so 
and it's getting worse and worse and worse by the year. So we've all got to try and do something now. All right, good mm. stuff. Thanks very much, Digger. Thanks, Good on you. See ya. Ciao. Ah, that's right. Triple R. Growing Up Disabled in Australia is a collection of writing from those negotiating disability in their lives and is the fifth book in the highly acclaimed best-selling Growing Up series from Black Ink. The anthology, an Australian first, features dozens of contributors and is edited by author of memoir Say Hello, Carly Finlay, who last year received an Order of Australia for her work in disability advocacy. And to tell us about the book, the writer and appearance activist joins us now. Carly, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, you you write in the introduction that uh, this book is the friend you needed when you were younger. How significant do you think is the publication of this book? Well, I grew up in Aubrey in country. Yes, mate. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, couldn't wait to leave because I just didn't have any kind of knowledge around disability or any acceptance you know when I grew up there I didn't think I was disabled because the only disabled people I saw were Paralympians or people getting blasted on a current affair for apparently rotting the system <laughs> and so you know uh, if you don't see someone when you are in your formative years that, that is growing up uh, disabled or in the minority group that you're from but don't know it yet, it's really hard to identify. So, you know, this is the book I, I needed when I was younger because I think if I had it, I would have realised that the, the, having a rare severe skin condition is a disability and and that it's okay to call myself disabled and there's a whole world out there that, and it will be okay. In what way did editing the book expand your own mind uh, now, receiving so many submissions that you must have. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, there were so many submissions. There were 366 submissions. So the hunger to write people's stories is enormous. Um, and also it really made me um, uh, more aware of how it was to grow up in the, you know, 60s and 70s, actually even 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s mm. before I was born um, with a disability. Uh, and I think, look, I think things have changed, but I think that there are many things that are still the same. You know, people are still facing discrimination. The representation in media is really low, etc. cetera. Um, it also taught me around um, the way people identify. You know, the book is, is called Growing Up Disabled, but many people in it don't identify as disabled. They might be chronically ill. They might be deaf. They might be mentally ill. Terminally, terminally ill or neurodiverse, but disability is an umbrella that holds all of those groups. And uh, I really, the other thing that it really taught me is that the medical system and also the school system has been the same for a lot of people. You know, people are trapped in, in the system. They feel like burdens. They feel like specimens. And I've certainly felt like that in the medical system uh as I've been in it all my life. Um, and also, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter what era these people grew up, they still felt that way. When, when you talk about, say, the 40s and 50s, there, there are pieces that sort of address polio. And, yeah. um, and what, have you, re- reading the submissions, did you track any yeah. sort of changes that you, for better or for worse, that sort um, of picked your interest? Well, I think that, I mean, I, I'm not, a spreadsheet keeper or a tracker <laughs> by any means. But I think the common theme was that um, when when people found their 
their community, things changed for them. When people found the social model of disability, which is which says that society constructs barriers, not it's not our bodies at fault, then things changed for them. Like with Elle Gibbs, for example, mm. um, wrote about that. Uh, that when she found the social model of disability and found other disabled people, she felt very much less alone than she was. Um, the other thing that I think that has definitely changed is the um, the level of representation. You know, like, like people who wrote about polio in the um, 60s and 70s, they didn't see a lot of, of other people with the condition or with other disabilities even. And now the representation has definitely changed there. And that, that there's this opportunity, you know, to, to do it. And there's so many different genres in the book as well. I mean, we've got, yeah. you know, poetry. There's there's lots of very funny pieces. Yes, very funny. Alistair Baldwin's is very, very funny. <laughs> and I had to – it's about um, writing for the disabled. It's called hippotherapy. <laughs> and uh, – I had to narrate the audio book over the Christmas break mm. and that was an unexpected thing. I wasn't expecting to do it, but I had to do it. And uh, it takes a very long time to narrate an audio book and each chapter took me about between, you know, half an hour and an hour to narrate. But Alistair's was so funny that I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> about I, two hours to narrate his. <laughs> it's, I, read, I read that one last night and, yeah, you're right, I I had to, it's, it's rare that I kind of have to put a book down to, to take a breath, but yeah. Alistair's was was one of those. <laughs> it, it was yeah, it's so funny. funny. I mean, not only was the the writing for the disabled bit funny, but also that Western Australia just couldn't do daylight saving time. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. 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 It's I wanted to talk more about it, but without giving away the punchline. Mm. But. Uh, and what about the the role of love and family support? I mean, um, thinking of the you know there are so many writers that speak, you know Olivia Musket sp- writes so fondly of a mother and Green Senator Jordan Steele Young talks yeah. about family and then you know Jane Rosengrave talks about you know she writes when they used to shear the sheep I would hug the wall the lambs wall was my hug because I didn't get many hugs. <laughs> What um, what is, have you? Can you grapple with the the nature of support networks and and the yeah. how valuable they are? Yeah, I mean, I think we see we see a huge range of the way families supported the contributors in the book. I, I think for the most part, um, there is a lot of support shown by families, but also in Jane's case, um. Jane wrote about growing up in um, institutions and being abused and she was given away. She Well, she was taken from her mother when she was very young, a, a, a baby, and um, she didn't know she was Aboriginal for quite some time until about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, I think. And um, she, you know, did write or spoke actually. She, she um, was interviewed by me for this piece um she talked about how the sheep was her hug like shearing the sheep was her hug and that when she saw other aboriginal people she felt um a real connection to them but then she was sent away to um live with or stay with um kind caring families in um you know to get a reprieve from the institutions but this was almost held against her 
with um, the horrific abuse that she received. You know, if she spoke up about the abuse, she couldn't go to these families. It was really hard. But I think that in terms of, um, you know, the, the positive family support, Olivia Musket was definitely one that wrote about that and also um, Andy Jackson and... and um, uh, sorry, his name slipped me, Sam Sam Drummond wrote about just the very um, hard time that a family has in planning for medical procedures when you live in the country, mm. medical stays and procedures. And, and that was something I definitely experienced as a kid coming from Aubrey and my parents having to take me to hospital in Melbourne and spend many, many weeks with me um, there. And so there was that kind of common thread there around the way families support or don't as well. There's a piece called Having a Voice by Belinda Downs who Mm. writes sort of about autonomy being taken Mm. away and and operations or discussions sort of being had without any consultation. Yes. Is that that common, do you think, or is is that something that we're getting better at? Um, Well, I mean... The purpose of this book, I feel, is to showcase own voices. You will see in the newspaper um, stories around disability that haven't included any interviews with actually disabled people. You'll see parents taking over with with talking. Um, You'll see, you know, in the media, um, there's been so many stories around the parent narrative and disability being a burden and even when the parent says to the media or, or writes in a book how much they love their child, the minute they say, but it's really hard to have a disabled child or, or worse, that then gets the headline. And so we really need these own voices and, and for disabled people to be in control of our stories because for so long it hasn't happened. And so when I was, um, you know, when I was choosing Belinda's story about her mum speaking on her behalf so much and just doing terrible things, um, you know, it was really emotionally and financially abusive there, um, it made me realise that this is just one of many, many stories where parents um, have a say over the, over the child instead of the child being able to speak for themselves. In the work that I do um, around writing and speaking, um, it, it's often <laughs> I'm often met with great hostility from parents because I talk about how much they share their overshare their their child's stories. You know, would they like such intimate details put on the internet about their medical details? Um, in the same way they do to their children, probably not. You also, you give a. Um a uh, shout out to Stella Young in the in the intro. Can you talk to us a bit about um, how important her work was, especially you know in terms of um, ramp up um, yeah. and giving a platform for um, pe- disabled people to share their stories? And you know this book is out now. And what more do you want to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Stella Young was an amazing writer activist comedian Mm. she edited the abc ramp up website for four years it was defunded in 2014 um and 
this website was a place for disabled people mostly to write. Um, there were very few stories written by non-disabled people. Um, there's a saying in the disability rights community or movement rather, nothing about us without us. And it's really important that we are in control of telling our own stories. Stella did so much to change the mediascape of disability you know she she was mainstream she was in the comedy festival um she was on tv and i feel like since ramp up has gone there hasn't been a dedicated online space at least for us to um tell our stories so i know that this won't replace that it sits alongside that but it's really important that this stuff continues you know now that the book's out I want publishers to see what's possible with working with disabled people in publishing and also we need to be in all facets of publishing I found I have found that in in promoting my first book say hello it's hard to be the writer and also be really pleasant and cheery to bookshop bookstores and also news outlets when they're just not committed to accessibility or even know about accessibility, you know. Mm. And so I really hope that uh, the work I've done here and, and that other people have done around accessibility and publishing gets carried on. You know, well, and that this opens up many opportunities for people to get published. The new anthology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia, is out now through Black Ink. And uh, we've been speaking with its editor, Carly Finlay. Thanks so much, Carly. Thank you for having me. Triple R. Summer break faster and today's Wednesday Wisecracker. Bobby McCumber joins us this morning. G'day, Bobby. G'day, team. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. What's the goss? Um, well, it's not something that happened to me recently, but I've only just recently been able to talk about it. Oh, so Sounds, um, sounds thought, pretty deep, uh, mate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's a different approach this Wednesday, isn't it? Sorry about mm. that. <laughs> but about um, about a year ago, I would uh, I had I guess a job interview, um, and I was just applying to MC a, a number of events for this company, and I did myself up and I had my spiel and everything, and I went in and everything was going great, um, and then about halfway through the interview, I just my belly started feeling a little bit funny, and I felt like. I wanted to do a fart. What's a nice word for a fart? Like my dad wind? used to say. Break wind. Pop break off. Wind. Fluff, a break pop off. Oh, yeah, <laughs> pop off is a good one. A pop off, yeah. yeah pop. One. Oh, that is not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, you screw your nose up like I've just yeah. done a pop off, but I haven't. Oh, good. <laughs> my um, my dad used to say fluff when we were young. Oh, yeah, 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 that's another like, good one. Like you did a fluff. <laughs> And my, my partner actually says toot. Like oh, you need a toot. Yeah. Like you're talking to kids. But anyway, yeah. she's a lot younger than me. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, I felt like I needed to do a pop-off, right? But I couldn't, like in the middle of it. So I, I was strong and I held on. And then I went, um, you know, I left, I left, I got the gig, which was great. So I booked okay. myself in for four gigs. And then I was walking down the stairs and they're like, we're, we'll walk you out. Like we're heading out as well. So we need to go in the car oh. park. I'm like, oh my God, get away from me. Just get away. <laughs> Sorry, so, just, uh, but just hang on. When in the interview, is it, um, do you have to like present, like, is it an audition type thing? Like, oh, show us how are you going to MC this thing? And do you, you know? 
give your spiel, oh, welcome to the MCG, and oh, is everyone having a great time? And they go, Bobby, you're the person for us. You know, grand final, you're hosting it. It's yours. Thankfully not. I reckon if I had to stand up and talk like that, then I might have pooped my pants. But anyway, um, no, I, I think they had, they had seen me before and they just asked me about a specific program. I had to talk about that program and what I thought and, you know, all, all the boring stuff really. So it was just to lock it in and see if I was, if I was available as well. And mm. so it all went well. Um, I loved the program. They loved having me be a part of it. And then they wanted to walk me to my car because yeah. – because it was a horrible moment for me and I, I needed that. So we walked out and uh, and I got in the car and I'm just like, God, I just need to get out of here. They're, hey, they're like, oh, so next time we'll see you, like winding the window down. like, get away from me. Get me. I'm oh. so, so rude. And I was just like, i I, I got to go. All right, I've got to go. See you later. And I was actually, I, I was meeting my two brothers for lunch in Richmond um, and they knew I had this uh, chat, they were working and they were going to come meet afterwards and stuff and we were all going to kind of just catch up. And I got in the car and then I, you know, did a, did a pop-up, did a flop, did, did what I had to do, uh, wound the windows up. And you know when it's yourself, like it's just not as bad as, like if it was yeah. someone else, it's mm. so much worse, isn't yeah. it? But when it's yourself, you can take it a little bit more. You're a little bit prouder. I, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I did that and I started driving and I was like, oh, Jesus, Bobby, this is, this is probably one of your best. Right? <laughs> 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 it's not good. And then I'm driving and I'm like, oh, I think I, like, so I had to, I'm oh, God. Now, and I'm just, the closer, then I got onto Punt Road and it was just bumping oh. a bumper. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't think that this is, I don't think this is a normal Mm. I didn't know I had seat warmers in this car. <laughs> was it that? <laughs> Going to Punt Road sounds like a good euphemism, actually, yeah. for what's happening. <laughs> oh, God, it was hell. So I, I was driving and, and I was like, no, I need to abort. I, I can't meet my brother. I think I'm, I need to go home. I need to go straight home. I can't sit anywhere. I can't. I didn't even feel comfortable going to a McDonald's or anything like that just to a takeaway, just to go to the bathroom. Like, no, this needs to be done at home. So I have driven home. Uh, My brothers are calling me. I'm just like, I'll I'll message them when I get home. So I messaged them when I got home and I just said, like, I'm I'm sorry. Um, Something come up. I I can't. can't, can't." Something's come out. (laughs) Exactly. My my partner sent me a message going, hey, hon, have fun at lunch, say hi to your brothers for me. And I had just got home and I said, uh, didn't make lunch, had an accident in the car and I I didn't even think anything of it and I just left it down. Bobby. (laughs) And then I've gone, look, I need to have, I need to clean myself up. So I've had a shower and my poor girlfriend has called and called me, and she's at work, and so she's told everyone. Oh, Bobby's God. Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's not picking up the phone, and I, I get out oh. of the shower, and I'm just like, oh, Miss Gold. I'm like, hey, babe. And she's like, are you okay? She's freaking out. Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, what happened? Where are you? Are you, like, are you injured? I said, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that probably didn't come out right. Um, no, I just, um, I, um, and she's, she's like, what? I go, uh, I pooped my pants. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, everybody. She just pooped her pants. 
<laughs> False alarm. No, the accident <laughs> when she booked her pants. Yeah, my undies are insured. <laughs> oh. <laughs> lost it and I was I was embarrassed but I was laughing but then and I'm like are you there and she was laughing so hard she was crying she couldn't, she couldn't talk and I'm like are, are you there and then I heard her boss come over and she's like is everything okay and I thought she was crying because she couldn't talk and, oh my God. and she's just like she she pooed her pants and then I just heard the biggest laugh that I had to hang up the phone and be like oh my god oh I didn't come think on. this make any worse but guys I can't believe she went, told them Oh, you know, and I go in there for Friday night drinks. Not anymore. Jeez. No, not anymore. And the good thing you've done is tell it on radio. Just <laughs> <laughs> Once, yeah, that's what no. twelve months of healing does. That does it's co- you know yeah. comedy is tragedy plus timing yeah. and oh my God. the timing for pooping your pants is twelve months. <laughs> so that's where we're at. I'm also and I'm still shaken by the. You don't walk potential employees back to their car. It might be they might have a rubbish car as well. Oh, so many things. And that's yeah. the reason why you want the job. Yeah. Do you know what <laughs> I was worried about is that I when you started talking about you had to go to Richmond that one of them would go, Actually, look, I'm <laughs> heading do you mind <laughs> you don't mind if I oh, if I get a lift with you? Is yeah. that okay? And how do you say no? How do you, how would you have said no to your you know people that have just employed you. Mm. No, yeah. no, you can't. Oh. can't. And then as someone texted in, because we're talking about euphemism, they said, they say, I do smells. Yeah. Um, so you could have just said, sorry, I need to do a big smell. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing in a job interview. Find that contract and then, yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> in the job interview, they ask you what your big, what's your biggest strength and you say, I always follow through. That's what <laughs> thing you can say about me. <laughs> Um, well, I'm glad you survived, Bobby. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I'm, I'm proud I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for guys. Uh, catch you soon. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks very much, guys. See you later. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.